The scripture we're going to read from is found in Genesis. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 2, um, verse 21 through 24, and uh, it's up there on the screen. And this is something that we've been, we've actually probably read the scripture a couple of times. Uh, it's just, I mean, this is the very first marriage. This is the very first husband and wife that God ever brought together. And um, this is what it says uh, there in Genesis. It says, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. So the, 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 the context of this is that Adam was single. Adam was alone. And God said it's not good for man to be alone. So he put him to sleep. Um, he went to sleep single and he woke up married. Uh, he went to sleep. Lucky man. Uh, he is lucky. He's very lucky. He's, he's pretty excited about it. Eve was a catch. Yeah. Anyway, and the Lord God caused deep sleep to fall on Adam. We'll keep reading. And he slept. And God took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said... This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Next slide. And this is the main scripture. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The King James there says, and cleave. Um, that, that, that word there for be joined. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. He shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And so that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about that joining or that cleaving, to use the, the, the old, the old uh, King James Version. But that, that word actually, to join or to be joined, it actually means like to glue, like to glue together, to super glue, to take two, two objects that are separate and apart and just put them together in such a way that they, they can't come undone again. And now they are one. Now these two objects are are one. They're glued together. And that's, that's really what we call uh, covenant. Um, covenant is a biblical word that's um, throughout scripture. Um, and, oh, there's a little picture of us. Um, <laughs> I can see everything you're seeing down there. Great. Um, <laughs> it, it, we're, 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 we're talking about covenant here. And covenant is something that, that is, is essential to marriage. And we call, that's why we're calling this the essence of marriage. The title of today's sermon is The Essence of Marriage. At the core of marriage um, is a covenant. And this is, this is important because we don't necessarily live in a covenantal culture. But we want to talk about covenant because of this very statement right here. That covenant keepers are compatible with covenant keepers. So often as, as you're single, um, you're looking for compatibility. But... Um, uh, you find compatibility in that you both like the same kind of movies or the same kind of music or the same kind of food. Um, and that, those compatibility issues are fine. They're okay. But uh, the greatest level of compatibility that we need is to be uh, on the same level with respect to covenant because that's at the core um, of marriage. And so we're going to talk about what, what a covenant is. Uh, first of all, a covenant is, is, a, it, it is a commitment to the good of another. Right? That, that's the statement we decided yeah, on? Yeah, yeah. Covenant is a, is a, a in, unconditional... Commitment. Sacrificial commitment. All right. Covenant is a sacrificial, unconditional commitment to the good of another. Yeah, as we were preparing for this, we were starting to think um, where we see it in society a lot, where we see covenant. And um, I think everybody who's a parent understands covenant. I see Susie's little baby over there. I was talking to her the other night. We had just left the ladies' night on Friday night, and, I, and she's smiling away, and I knew she was going home to her baby. I said, is, always, is he still waking you up in the night? She gives me this big smile, and she's like, yes, and I love it. 
I was like, oh, you're so good. I hated being woken up at night. <laughs> but as parents, we know covenant. We know that we give. It's sacrificial commitment to our children. It doesn't matter if they're being a stink bum. We're still going to love them. We're still going to feed them. We're going to house them. We're going to um, do things for them with boundaries. I think another thing that our, um, our society sees covenant is with their pets. I know, I know my husband's not a covenant keeper with pets, but I am. I have no covenant with pets. But you know, with your pet, you know that you're going to look after that pet. You're going to take that pet to the vet if he needs it. You're going to do whatever it takes to keep that um, pet alive and well if you're a covenant-keeping person. Well, it's, it's true. If, if, if I buy a pet, you would look after it. I'm going to look after it. Yes. I'm just not going to go buy a pet. <laughs> like some people have covenants like with the pets that they buy. Some have covenants with like pets in the whole world. Like she sees a stray cat, she has a covenant with that stray cat. Well, we got to take it home. No, we don't. <laughs> it's true. Poor Harry, we've had many stray dogs come home to our house oh, while I find man. their owners. <laughs> yeah, well, they, like the other day there was a pit bull on our property. A random pit bull. Running around, she comes and says, Harry, there's a, there's a big dog, you need to come catch it. <laughs> like, so I had to put my man pants on <laughs> and go out there and do it. And so I went out there and there was no dog, I couldn't find it. And so I said, Well, keep the kids inside, honey. Um, I'm going to Starbucks. And and I came home and you had found it. I had gone and caught it. I walked it up and down the road because we had some road workers down the road. I thought maybe it was one of theirs and it escaped from there. And then it had tried to eat our dog. So then I tried, decided to put it in a kennel. we have a little kennel. dog. We just have a little, little dog. So I put it in a kennel and then I rang a whole lot of humane societies and we found its owner. I think on Facebook, I think, finally. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's what she does. It's not. I wouldn't put it in a cage. I would just, you know, make sure it's off my property. Like, it's not, yeah, shoot it away or something. Back to this. I need, I need Cheryl's taser. Cheryl has a little taser gun. That's like, that keeps him away really good. It's the high frequency sound. You don't actually tase them. It's all right. I'm already married to him. He's taken. He's quite the catch. And we love him. <laughs> Some people also feel a covenant with, with, with nature, with, with, with the environment. Some people really feel that, that it's their responsibility to take care of the environment. And, um, and I'm not knocking that. I think that's, that's fine. Um, I'm not necessarily you know, one of those people wholeheartedly, but he's also more one of those people. Um, but it, they, a covenant is just this, is this, this commitment that you have to the good of, of somebody else other than yourself. That's that, that that's what we're that's what we're getting at, and and honestly, this is also our relationship with Christ. I mean, the Bible says that John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. That wasn't for His benefit; that was for our benefit. He He was committed to our benefit, and so salvation is really made possible because God is making a covenant with us. He's saying, "Look, I'm I'm committed to your benefit," and when we when we accept His love and we when we when we receive relationship with Him and begin walking. In relationship with him, we are committing to him that, Lord, I'm committing into a covenant with you, and I'm stepping into it. I'm going to be committed to your good. And so I'm not just going to live my life according to what is good for me. I'm going to live my life uh, in order to bring you glory and in order to, to do good for you. Not because not because I, I'm earning your love or anything, but because that's part of this covenant uh, that we have. 
And so, so we wanted to talk about sort of the, 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 the trajectory of, of covenant, because wherever you're at today, you might be single, married, divorced, um, at whatever part of the spectrum you're on, covenant is very important um, for all of us. And God really took us through a bit of a journey when we were single, preparing us for marriage, um, teaching us about covenant. Yeah, definitely. I, I always say that I feel really loud. Am I loud? No, you're okay. just loud oh, I'm loud right, loud right there. It's loud for me. So, yeah. Okay, um, I, God really took me through a journey and took Harry through a journey as well before we got married. I always say that God tricked me into marrying Harry because he's not my type at all. Um, I always says that. Always says that. He's my type now. I have no other type, just this type right here. But I did tend to go for other boys before this one. <laughs> Obviously, that did not work out. I did not have as good a taste as God. This was God's mm, taste. Come on, somebody. <laughs> That's a good time for an amen. <laughs> so, so God took me through a process getting ready um, to meet Harry and to get into a serious relationship with Harry. I remember God saying to me one day, I was, you know, you guys know, I lived in the mountains of Colorado and I snowboarded every day in the winter and in the summer we mountain biked and rock climbed and we just, we were having a, fantastic life and it was a very individual life you know you've heard my stories on powder day if your friend breaks their leg behind you you say oh, i'll tell ski patrol but i'm just going to keep on going and doing this powder because it's so good you know it was it was a very individual culture we we looked out for ourselves and everybody did i mean when we had a lot of powder uh, you know businesses would not open that day they'd have a sign on their door yeah 10 inches of snow sorry you can't buy you know milk today because the store's closed i mean it just we looked out for ourselves um and so God, I remember God saying to me one day, he's like, Rowena, do you need me? And at that stage in my life, I hated the word need. Like, if anybody said they needed me, I'd be like, oh, why? Why? Need me, go need them. I just want to be me. So, um, you know, God challenged me, he said, do you need me, Rowena? And I was like, oh, of course I need you, Lord. Of course I need you, Lord. And he started talking to me about how, he was going to share his role in my life of protecting me and guiding me, and he was going to share it with a man soon, and that would be my husband, and I needed to learn how to need so that I could um, enter into that relationship. And he really started shifting me and changing me. I went through a process of, um, of mending relationships in my life that were not at a good level and learning to need God and therefore one day need Harry. Yeah, and if you look at the, the, the scripture that we, that we read, you have, you have Adam, and he's alone, and he's, and he's single, and God has to go and make Eve yeah. to create Eve. Yeah. And so I think it's so important um, for all the ladies here um, today <laughs> to allow God to make you, yeah. to allow God to create you into the, the covenant person yeah. that he wants you to be. You can begin working on covenant relationships right now um, with, with, with your parents, with your, with your siblings. Um, there are several covenantal relationships that we talked about that are God-ordained and are healthy. And um, they, they, they can begin to prepare you and make you for who God is preparing you for. If God's preparing you for somebody. I mean, everybody doesn't have to get married. But, um, but the best thing that all of us can do, whether we ever get married or not, is to allow God to make us who he wants us to be. And secondly, for the men, like God put Adam to sleep. And, and I think it's so, I mean, you know, you kind of joke about that. He went to sleep, single, woke up, married. But, but honestly, like, like I, he put him to rest. And I think it's so important for us guys in the room, uh, especially as single guys, man, learn to rest. 
and 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 it's amazing what God will do when you just close your eyes and shut your mouth and rest. Like it's amazing. Like God does some of His best work when we are at rest. God does some of His best stuff when we're not out there trying to hustle, <laughs> trying to make it happen. Um, so yeah, like at whatever point you're in, whether married, single, or not. These these two things I think are, are ultimately very important that we uh, we become God made people yeah. and we become restful people people who are at rest and we wait just like um, God brought Eve to Adam yeah. both of us firmly believe that God brought us to each other I mean I was living in Colorado he was in Ohio um, and through a friend who are you in Colorado you were in Ohio when I first met you yeah. when I first started writing to you online. Yes, online. Oh, we don't talk about that part of our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> really I'm more of the technical person, so meeting. Anyway. We met in person when you lived yes, in Louisiana. We did meet online in Ohio. <laughs> but we really feel like God led us to each other. I remember yeah. when I was 26 years old, God saying to me, Rowena, if you knew that I have someone planned for you and I would introduce you to them when I was ready, would it, would it change how you interact in a social situation? And the answer was yes, I would stop looking, I would stop um, scanning the room for cutie pies, you know, stuff like that. I would just rest, like what you were saying. Sounds really sexy when you put Cutie pies? Yeah. Cutie pies. <laughs> You're a cutie pie. I know it. <laughs> she does all these pet words, like what was it, what would you call me? Sweet pea? Oh, sweet it just pea. comes out of yeah, my mouth. Sweet pea came, came up a lot. <laughs> anyway. Love it. I think what, I love you. <laughs> I think one of the things, and that's your expression of love, so that's, that's good. Um, anyway, I'm getting distracted. Uh, I think one of the issues that we have, though, with this covenant, with these, these two things, allowing God to make us and allowing us to rest, is that we, so we don't live in a culture that promotes those things. We don't live in a culture that promotes covenants, really, uh, except for in instances like children and, and pets and, and the environment. Uh, and a couple of other things, really, we, we don't really live in a culture that, that promotes covenant when it comes to marriage um we we we, we 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 struggle with that and part of that is just our general cultural cultural values that we just hold especially here in america we're very consumer oriented so we we enjoy being consumers there's nothing wrong with being a consumer i mean it's it's what 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 makes america great you know you have you have walmart and walmart is okay and then you have target and target is much better and so, so Target, so I shop at Target. Like I used to go to Walmart and then Target came along. I remember the first Target I ever went to. And you'd go to Target and because you like it better, you pay a little bit more, but the stuff is a little bit better. The experience is better, the environment is better. The carts are better, those big plastic carts come on somebody. Um, like they actually come undone from the, from, from the row, you know? That's important. And so, you know, but it's, it's a consumer mindset that I am a consumer, so I'm going to go like where I can consume what I want to consume. And that's fine. It's, it's capitalism. It's what makes uh, America great. But, but beyond all of that, when you bring cons a consumer mindset into marriage, that's where you run into trouble. Because consumer mindset is really the opposite of covenant mindset. And so we bring this consumer American mentality into a covenant relationship and, and we make these vows to each other and uh, like, you know, like you like saw the video of us, but then life happens and, and as a consumer, if I'm not getting what I need or if I'm not getting what I want, then I start looking for a better option. Well, somebody, 
they're looking for a target, right? Instead of it's because a covenant says I'm here no matter what, and I'm I'm committed to your your good. A consumer says I'm committed primarily to my good, and if you can help me with that, then then that's awesome. Then I I'm here I'm here all the way. But if I'm not getting what I need, I'm going to go elsewhere. Um, and 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 this is this is something I think that cuts to the heart of our ability to even commit to covenant. Because in the back of our mind, the forefront of our minds, we have this idea of a, of a consumer mentality. We approach much of life this way. And so, um, you know, I, I, it's not necessarily our fault. It's the culture that we grew up in. But we have to learn to distinguish between that cultural value and a biblical cultural value of covenant. That says, I'm here for your good. Um, there's a, the, the, the book that we've been reading called The Meaning of Marriage. Um, he discusses, uh, uh, Timothy Keller is, is, is the author of the book. Uh, and, and, and he discusses a, um, uh, a Danish philosopher. Mm -hmm. who, Can I pronounce his name? Ooh, his name ah. Soren uh, Kierkegaard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's Danish. I don't know. Um, uh, it, it, anyway, this Danish philosopher he, he 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 talks about three basic kinds of. Of, of, of outlooks on life and and he believes that we all start with the aesthetic um, and 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 if we can mature we can move on to the ethical and then we mature on to the religious but um, most of us and much of much of our society can we get stuck I would say in the aesthetic level of living and so you want to yeah. go ahead and yeah there was a quote that? in the book that I thought was great it says the aesthetic person doesn't ask if something is good or bad only if it is interesting Everything is judged by whether it is fascinating, thrilling, exciting, and entertaining. And the ascetic person does not really love others. They love the thrill, they love the feelings, but when, those, when the thrill and the feelings are gone, they have no abiding love or concern for the other person. Um, Harry hassles me that my, my friends, my girlfriends, all of them are larger than life, you know, they're very entertaining, I say that they're better than TV, you know, they're, they're fun people. And he hassles me, he's like, you just pick people that are fun to hang out with. I'm like, yeah, I'm a mother of young children, I need fun. And, uh, <laughs> but so I, as I was reading this, uh, it's true, I have a part of me that is, as we all do, that is attracted to things that are fascinating and thrilling and exciting and entertaining. That's why we do sport, that's why we um, play games, that's why we watch TV, that's why we watch movies that are thrilling, all of that sort of stuff. That's why I watch the Spurs lose we have, we have someone grieving in here over there. We have many, nice. I'm sure. By the way, that wasn't a, a foul on Duncan. I don't care what you say. No idea what even sport they were playing. No idea. Okay. I didn't mention that to the poor couple that came in this morning and they were like grieving. That the Spurs, I was like, what game were they playing? But I did not say that. Um, so anyway. She's from New Zealand. You have to give her a pass. Um, as I was thinking about that, I was like, yes, I'm attracted to friends that are fun and thrilling and exciting and entertaining, but I would like to think that I've also gone into the ethical and the religious. I want friends that are good, that love the Lord, that have softness in them, that have beauty on the inside of them. You know, I've, I've gone below that just aesthetic for, um, for thrill. And if they are not entertaining me anymore, if they are not thrilling anymore I will still be there because I love them and I have concern for them yeah yeah and the aesthetic person um, is always seeking freedom right like seeking to be free from the chains of society you know seeking to break free from 
from from what they would see as tradition. It's, it's, it's stifling on them. And um, the, the problem with that is that that's not true freedom. Free, true freedom doesn't come from, from simply uh, uh, being moved by your feelings. Uh, what, what, what happens is they're actually, uh, the aesthetic, the fully aesthetic person is really a slave to their, to their emotions, to their feelings. So however they're feeling at the moment, that's how they're gonna react. And honestly, psychologists will tell you that your feelings are very, very um, subjective. Uh, I, remember, I remember in college, uh, a, a psychology professor was talking about happiness. And they, they were trying to measure happiness, and they're trying to see how 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 steady or how how strong is a feeling of happiness. Like how is that like how how solid is that? And um, what they did is they went they went to people's workplaces. Uh, they went they went to cubicles, and they went over to the copy machine. Everybody ends up at the copy machine at some point in the day, and they stood there at the copy machine and they interviewed people who came to the copy machine in the middle of their workday and said, "How happy are you on a scale of one to ten? How happy are you with?" your overall life, like your life in general, everything, all, everything, how happy are you? And they found that people were, you know, generally sort of moderate in their happiness of their overall life. And so then they came back, same place, same question, same deal, only this time they left a dime in front of the copy machine. So when people came up to make their copies, oh, found a dime. They found a dime, put it in their pocket, and they said, okay, on scale of one to 10, how happy are you with, with your overall life? And they found that the, the happiness was significantly higher. Like they just found 10 cents and they're significantly happier with their whole life. And, and like, we, we laugh at that, but that is, um, you know, I mean, that's, that's scientifically, that's how steady and strong and, and, and reliable your view of your particular happiness is at the moment. It is, it is as affectable as a simple dime or a simple kind gesture or, you know, you get a parking space that's really close to the door at Target. And, uh, you know, and suddenly you're a little bit, oh, I'm a little bit happier. And, the happy, and, and so happiness is great, but when you start making decisions based on how happy do I feel right now, your decisions are going to be all over the board because your happiness is so easily affected. It's so easily, you're so easily a slave to to, to random things. Uh, somebody cuts you off in traffic and suddenly your general happiness with your overall life is, is just dropped down a bit. And so happiness is fine, but it's not the end goal. It's, it's, it, it is not, it's not the ethical goal or it's not the religious goal. Uh, and, and also uh, with, with the aesthetic, I think the other issue is that you become a slave to your circumstance because your circumstance often dictates your happiness, uh, your feeling of happiness, that general moment dictates that. And so if something happens in your marriage where your spouse is um, uh, uh, terminally ill or, or has a sickness, um, suddenly your your view of your life is, 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 is changes everything. And circumstance change. And so your your level of commitment can, can drop if that circumstance changes. And that's why in our vows we say for sick, in sickness and in health. Um, because in, in the vows, they're, they're, they're trying to educate you on what it is covenant is. Because the first marriage, they didn't have a big ceremony and say, uh, I, Harry Fleming, take you, Rowena Denise, to be my... Like, they, they, they didn't do that. Because they already understood covenant, because they already had a covenant with God. And so the reason why we do it in our culture is because folks don't naturally just get that, and so they have to say it, in sickness and in health, for better or for worse. Uh, riches and uh, poverty. 
church planting and everything else. Uh, you know, like you got to throw that stuff in there. Uh, Till death do us part. I mean, because we're spelling it out. This is covenant. This is commitment. Uh, we're spelling it out for an aesthetic culture. And so um, these, these are some of the things that stand in our way. I think, I, I think another issue that, that is often um, uh, very troublesome to our culture is, is misunderstanding and miscommunication. Because that's one of the circumstances that can change. It's like we feel like we know each other really well, and so that's why we get married. And then we get married, and we realize we don't know each other at all. Mm-hmm. And then, well, maybe you guys didn't realize that. But um, newsflash, uh, you don't know your spouse very well. And, uh, and there's oftentimes uh, things that she says, and I think she's saying one thing. And saying I say something, she thinks I'm saying something. And uh, this is really demonstrated pretty, pretty, pretty clearly the first time we ever preached together. Um, it was back three years ago, very, very first time we ever preached together on a stage, and um, we were we were we were working on the sermon during that week, and uh, we got kind of consumed with the sermon, right? And so we were all of our time together, but that's not fair. Most of our time together was spent talking about the sermon, talking about okay, what are you going to say? What are you? What have you been reading in your stuff? And so we 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 come together at nine. We talk about what we were what we were doing. Well. Because we were so busy, like working on the sermon, some other things that typically happen in the evening kind of would get not happen in the evening. Let's just put it that way. Um, and uh, uh, there was one, and, and you know, there was one particular night where I, I thought for sure it it was business time, as they say. It's business. I had my business time socks on and everything, and it just, we got carried away with the sermon. And so we're like, you know, this is what I was talking about. And so, and so I was kind of disappointed, you know, and I thought, well, maybe. Eh. And so the next morning, I'm getting ready to go off to work, and, uh, you know, Ro says, Ro, like, gives me a hug, gives me a kiss, and she whispers in my ear. I'm not sure I whispered. <laughs> it was a lower tone. <laughs> And she said, and she said, you know, she, she, she said, maybe you can take some time off from work today, like over lunch, and come home, and we can quickly work on the sermon. So I heard one thing. And I said, yeah, that sounds good. So I was working at uh, Promise Land at the time at the church, and so I was at church, and T-Bear even asked me over, like, like in the morning, he's like, he's like, why don't we get lunch together? And I said, no, I can't. I got to go home and work on the sermon. Legitimately, I got to go home and work on the sermon. So I go home, kick my shoes off, go up the stairs, come around the corner. She's on the bed with her computer and a whole bunch of papers everywhere typing away. And that's when it hit me. She meant... Work on a sermon. <laughs> like, and I was like, but I thought, it's <laughs> a little glimpse into preacher life. Um, everybody else, that just means working on a sermon. But for me, I, it's a marriage sermon. We're going to, you know, I don't know. Um, and so I was thinking, I was thinking, do I say something? Do I not? What's going on here? So I didn't. I didn't say anything. We just, literally worked on the sermon and uh, you know wrote down some stuff talked about some stuff and then I went back to work and so um, it, but that, that but that's just a, a, a common occurrence of she says one thing I hear something else 
and that's where you know hurt can 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 come about because it's like well, I thought we were gonna work on the sermon, not work on the sermon, you know. And so <laughs> some, some people are totally oblivious. That's just cool. You don't really get it at all. Um, it's probably better off, but you know. But but honestly, like that's that's one of the areas actually where where there can be a lot of misunderstanding, and then a lot of bitterness can rise up, and 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 and. And then you have to have confrontation, and this is something that we all hate, especially the aesthetic culture hates confrontation, because in an aesthetic culture, confrontation means everything's not great, so I have to confront you to try to get you to be great again, you know, because like you're, you're not working on the sermon enough, you're <laughs> just wanting to write stuff and read stuff, and you know, that's all great and all, but you know, so that, 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 that's what, from an aesthetic point of view, that's what confrontation means. And so many of us avoid confrontation because we don't want to have those bad feelings. We don't want to make the other person feel bad, blah, blah, blah. But the truth is, in a covenant relationship, confrontation is actually a good thing. It's, a, it's an attempt to preserve relationship. Because every little thing that, 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 that comes in between you and your spouse that is not confronted will stay in between you and your spouse. It'll just stay there. And, and, there, and there'll be that thought in the back of your head. Oh, remember that one time when I came all the way home? From from lunch and didn't hang out with T Bear and you know <laughs> sacrifice all this so that I could come home and read a book. I remember that one time, you know. So like it'll just stay there, and it, the longer it stays, it's like it's like it's like fast food in your car. It just starts smelling worse and worse and worse. And, and okay, maybe you've never left fast food in your car. Uh, Harry's cast stinks. Occasionally, it has in the past, uh, but I'm safe now. Um, it stays there and it just starts smelling and that's what confrontation is confrontation is this uh, uh, is this ability to say look this, this this is in the car this is in our life this is in our marriage and, and, and this needs to go it's not that I need you to change it's, that I, it's not that I need you to do something differently it's that we need to we need to preserve this relationship yeah yeah in that instance I had no idea that he had thought I'd meant something else I was oblivious um, but he did, um, I think maybe that night, we, in our dating relationship, we perfected confrontation, <laughs> praise God. And so it, it, it comes pretty fast. If one of us has something going on, it's pretty fast that we talk about it. So I think that night he came and he just said, in a very sweet way, he's just like, hey, babe, this is what I thought was going to happen today. And I just wanted to tell you that I was disappointed and you know, stuff. And, and I genuinely had no idea that that had what happened. And so my response to him was, I am so sorry. I did not mean to give you any feelings of rejection I, I didn't even have it on my radar which probably made him feel worse but um, you know like but I just wanted to show him my heart he was honest with me and transparent with me so I wanted to be transparent with him and I said that was not my that was not my desire at all to make you feel rejected or to um, to concentrate on one part of our relationship more than another yeah. so it's good you know and then there's nothing there's no bitterness there's no hard feelings you get to work on the sermon and then it's good <laughs> So, 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 sort of the question is, how do we, how do we keep covenant? Well, first of all, you know, we, 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 we attempt to preserve relationship. We use confrontation not to tell the other person what they're doing wrong, but to say like there's something between us, and we want to work on this together, um, and we are committed to this. Um, but also uh, by remembering that our covenant is not just between the two of us. 
but the, our covenant is actually with God as well. The marriage covenant is also with God. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, as when you're in a wedding ceremony, I know you've all been to wedding ceremonies. If you haven't had one yourself, I'm sure you've been to one. The couple stands and faces each other, and they may say their vows to each other like me and Harry did, the ones that we had written. And then you turn to the pastor or the preacher or whoever's doing the marriage ceremony, and they start asking you questions. And they say, do you take this man to be your husband? Do you take this woman yeah, to be your wife? Yeah, the vows are technically a question from the priest or the minister to you. Right. Yeah. And he's standing in place of God asking these questions. Are you prepared to make a covenant, not just with this person, but with God as well, saying, I am going to marry this person. I'm going to love them through poorness or richness, through sickness or health. Um, you're making a horizontal commitment, but you're making a vertical commitment as well. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where, honestly, some, some of us are, are in relationships. Some of us are in relationships that we don't know that we can trust the other person. We're in a marriage relationship, and we... We feel like it's just like just you're like it's just you, and uh, the other person's not putting any effort in. The other person, the spouse, isn't isn't contributing, and and this is where I think this is great hope for you. This is great hope for 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 you to understand that that your covenant is not just with your spouse. Your covenant is with God, and so when you make a covenant to God, God steps in and he he fulfills. He's always going to fulfill his end of the covenant. And so he's there to help you. He's there to encourage you. He's there to strengthen you. He's there to, to, to give you the grace that you need to fulfill your covenant with him. And, and, and really, you can trust him. Uh, Ro came across this picture on Facebook the other day. We thought we'd, we'd, we'd share it with you. It's about trust. It's a list of people that I trust. Um, you've probably seen it. I don't know. I don't know what that is, but anyway. Um, because often we don't trust people. We, we're often very untrusting. But you can trust God. You can put your heart in God's hand. You can put your emotions in God's hand. You can put your, your, your thoughts and, and, and your dreams and your hopes in God's hand. And you can trust him. And so um, this, is, this is a scripture that I would, I would just like to read real quick from Hebrews. This is talking about the covenant that, um, that God is making with us. And it's found in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7 through 12. Um, this is God saying what he's going to do. This is uh, this quote from the Old Testament. It says, For if that first covenant um, had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, God's finding fault with the Old Testament, Old Covenant, uh, with his people. He says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made, with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, so I disregarded them, says the Lord. That's a bit of a warning there. Uh, but verse 10 says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. In other words, I will do something inside of you. I will do something inside of you. That, that was the problem with the Old Covenant. There was this external rules that they had to follow, but there was nothing on the inside. Um, God's new covenant with us today is the indwelling presence of his spirit inside of us. And that changes our mind, and it changes our heart. And those are, those are really what we need changed to be a covenant-keeping person. We need a new mind, a new way to think about life, 
and a new heart, a new way to, to feel about life, and a new way to desire about life. Um, he says, I will, I, will, I will change your mind, I'll change their heart. And then he says, none of them shall teach his neighbor, uh, none his brother, saying, know the Lord, because everyone will already know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. Verse 12 says, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. And that is, that is the covenant that God is offering to you and to me. Um, the marriage covenant is a great covenant. Um, and it's meant for our benefit. It's meant for our good. And uh, it, gets, it gets lost, I think, in, in a lot of the misunderstandings of life and a lot of the changes of situations. Because when you commit to somebody for life, it's, uh, there's a lot of changes that we all go through. Um, you know, we just, but, but you're committing, and we were, I was 26, you were, you were 17, um, she was a little bit older than me, uh, 31, I'm 26, you're 31, and we, we're, we're committing to death till it do us part, which statistically, I'm supposed to live till I'm 70, you're supposed to live to 77 right now, and, um, so that's, that's just a long time, uh, there's a lot of changes, kids, houses and moving states and starting churches and, and changing jobs and, and all of those changes, that's what we're committing to. And and the only thing I think that can really keep a couple together and keep a couple happily together is living by covenant. Saying, I am committed to your good. And there are some times when you don't feel in love with your spouse. Sometimes you don't feel the aesthetic, you don't feel the the, 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 like the warm, gushy, mushy love. Sometimes you don't feel that. But if you continue to to, commit, to remember your commitment and, and your vow, your covenant, that's where, regardless of, of your feelings, you can still maintain a covenant relationship. And and feelings come back. I think statistically, like most couples that that stay together longer than five years, if they're if they're having a rough patch. They, they stay committed to covenant for five years, they'll, they'll, they'll be much happier at the end of that. Um, because life changes and circumstances change. And as we commit to covenant, um, we, are, we are not being slaves to those circumstances. But it's also a reflection, really, of God's covenant to us. Because I'm pretty sure God feels differently about us at times. I'm pretty sure... God's not just mono feeling. He's not just like always smiling, you know, like he's on some happy tour or something. He's kind of smiling at us all the time. That's not that's not God. God grieves when we sin. God hurts when we reject him. God God feels. But regardless of God's feelings, he's made a covenant with us, a commitment to pursue us. You're like, you know, don't don't think for a moment that your sin just doesn't really affect God, because it does. He feels it, he sees it, but he's still ready and willing to accept you back and reach out to you in every single moment of your life until you die, until you depart. He's going to be pursuing you. And that's his covenant with us. And um, we, here at City Chapel, we like to offer that salvation, is what we call it. We like to offer that every single Sunday. We like to offer that for for you to receive his love and for you to sign up and enter into a covenant with him. 
It's really what it is when you when you when you accept him as your Lord, you receive him as your boss and your God. You're saying, I want to enter into a almost like a marriage covenant with you, God. I want to I want I want I want I want you to be committed to my good and I want to be committed to your good so that the two of us together would enter into this new contract, this covenant, this agreement. And so if that's you today, if you've never entered into that or if you've fallen out of that and you're like, I need to get back in that covenant with Jesus, I would just um, I would just invite you right now just to pray with me. And uh, let's all just bow our heads and close our eyes as we go to the Lord in prayer. And if you're going to pray with me, just raise your hand and just let me know that you're praying this prayer with me. It's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's the first step. 